This is Fergus Hodgson on the Imperial Observer uh, Roundtable podcast. I'm the managing editor. We're a geopolitical publication, investigative journalism outlet, and we examine the rule of law and the nexus between Latin America and Anglo America. There could be hardly a more important topic right now than the Chilean Constitutional Convention and referendum coming up. So we have our team. So I've got Paz Gomez and Mauro Echeverria with me and also a, and a splendid guest. I'm so, so glad we got her, Cristina Villagomez. She is an international lady who lives in Chile. Uh, she has Ecuadorian and Colombian roots and has been living in Spain for a few years. She has uh, graduate degrees in international law and human rights. So she is the lady for the job now. Christina, I'm going to basically get you to clarify for us. Welcome to the Impunity Observer Show. Like I said, I'm so glad you're, you're with us. I'm going to basically ping you a little bit to get us the facts on the ground, right? So first, would you please share with us a little bit about what your role has been in this process as much as you can publicly in the referendum yes. process in Chile? Yes, of course. So I came to Chile about three years ago. Hi to everyone, by the way. I came to Chile about three years ago. And um, the first thing that happened here was this amazing disturbance in the public order uh, with people saying that they wanted changes, but not establishing what changes they wanted. This was a time where politicians take, took advantage of what was going on in Chile, and they started saying that the solution to all the claims that people were making here in Chile was to get a new constitution. We all know that constitutions don't really change things, especially the things that people were asking for here. But it was a political time, and that was the agreement that every uh, political party took place and, and accepted, except the Communist Party. And I participated in the different campaigns that were uh, going on in Chile from the beginning. And afterwards, when, when these uh, institutions started, when the Convención Constitucional started, <laughs> I assessed some people inside to tell them basically what was the to make basically strategies and uh, to tell them basically what we were able to at least try to put in this constitution it was really really hard it was a very strange environment uh, we were working about 14 hours a day weekends included it was a very hard time. And frankly, what you saw in the inside of this institution was basically the polarization of this society that has gone above and beyond. And right now that we're finally going to define if this is going to be the new constitution of Chile or if it's not going to be, you can see this in the streets right now. And we've been working towards, of course, trying to make everything possible so people can reject this project because it's not only about a bad project, it's poorly uh, written, it has a lot of mistakes, and it also has a perspective that constitutions shouldn't really have. Constitutions are basically made so you can um, assure that people have certain rights and that the state is limited. That's the basic thing that they should do. But this constitution, this project that the, the Convención Constitucional tries to establish, does the complete opposite. It's, it's kind of incredible. It's worse than the case in Venezuela. It's worse than the case in Ecuador and Bolivia. It's so much worse. Uh, and they took the indigenous cause in Chile, try to fix all of the all of the crazy ideas of the constituyentes into this process and how far it can go 
uh, and how people's rights are like uh, insured here. So we are working towards the rejection of this project. We've been working for that uh, for months, and that has basically been my participation here. I was in the inside. Gosh, you, you covered a lot of ground there. That's great, Christina, because I must admit that from the I, I do fear that from the outside, it's hard to really understand what is going on in this whole process, right? Now, and I so I was making notes as I read about this this morning. I just thought that there seems to be a lot of confusion. The first draft apparently is 132 pages. Is that longer than most constitutions? Yes. In fact, it is. It's really, really long. It's very specific in certain in certain parts. In others, it's just super ambiguous. Uh, and it's definitely longer than the constitution that we have right now. The constitution right. that we have right now was on its base. It it started in in Pinochet's regime, uh, but it has been modified in various occasions uh, by the left part of the politicians over here and it is a good constitution it's not bad it's not poorly written it, it doesn't have any mistakes any crazy ideas it doesn't establish a political system towards an ideology it, it doesn't do that it just assures certain rights and it limits the the power of the state which is good i think that it's a very normal constitution the one that we have right now uh it's shorter of course and it doesn't cover a lot of the things that the constitution that made the that the convention constitutional made uh does cover for example this recognition of the indigenous people here in chile but the thing is that they made this so long and it and it has a lot of articles and a lot of words and a lot of adjectives that they can be this constitution, this project that I, I have it actually right here, uh, can be <laughs> interpreted in such a weird way. It's not accurate at all. And, and you would think that they made this so long, they, it's so explicit in certain parts that it would be clear what what they were trying to say and what they were trying to establish but it's not and i i believe that there's a reason behind making it so ambiguous and it's precisely to when the new new the new period of elections comes i believe that they will try to establish a government that can use this as a weapon against citizens because it's it's so ambiguous that you can do mm. anything with it for example, you can establish how the economy is going to work and where the agriculture is going to go. Everything. You can do everything with this with this text. Just because it's so ambiguous, you can do whatever you want. It's so I believe that that was intentional. That was very intentional. Okay. Now, you mentioned, the, let's, let's say, the, the prevailing constitution that Chile has. And the I guess one of the conclusions is that it really, even though it has a, let's say, an unholy genesis, right, under the Pinochet uh, dictatorship or regime, a lot of changes have been made since that time. So the current Chilean constitution isn't necessarily the problem in terms of the, the actual strife or social discord. As you said, people are, are placing that on the constitution of Chile, but your, your sense is that it's really misplaced anger or frustration? Am I interpreting correctly what you've, what you've shared? Yeah, I, I believe that that's true. Because, for example, when they were, when all this riot start, started, when all the, these riots started, that was 2019, people were asking for better services. And they were asking for 
better and cheaper education, better and cheaper health. And they ended up with this process that was <laughs> very, very weird and that it doesn't really help what they were trying to ask for. So I believe that there, yes, there is misplaced anger. And I think that there's this idea uh, that has been cultivated by for a very long time here in Chile by uh, very radical politicians, that they told people that the constitution that we have right now is the problem, when in fact it's not like that. In fact, what you would, what I would think that it was a problem was that the politicians that uh, ruled over the, the country, they, they didn't do the changes that were needed at the time that they were needed. Plus, I, I do believe that Chilenos They have this idea of their, of their country that, to me, it's a little bit off. They think that their country is so dysfunctional, and it's not like that. I come from a country, from Ecuador, um, that works in a very different way. And I would say that my country is a little bit dysfunctional. And if you compare, if you can compare it to Chile, you see that every public service here works relatively fine. They, they work. They, everything works. Func is everything is functional here. Everything is organized. Everything is clean. The cities are super safe. So I I do believe that it was I don't know it was the wrath of the moment that made uh, people accept this change uh, without really understanding what it really was about. And as we saw in Ecuador, in Venezuela, and in Bolivia, when you change the constitution, the the really important part of that change is not about putting more rights into the text, but about changing the political scene and changing how the state will perform and changing how, main, how much power the state has. That's the reality. That's the reason why you change a constitution. At least what has happened in Latin America, that, that's the reason. Uh, because, for example, in Ecuador, they placed a lot of rights in the constitution and you have things that are just like, they make no sense. But what they really did, the, the real change, was yeah. that the state took a lot of power. And that's exactly what they're doing with this constitution. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, there's plenty to say about that. And listeners might know that I have traveled to Chile a bunch of times. And I did live in Argentina for over a year. And I, I want to just echo Christina's sentiments that the infrastructure and organization in Chile is a level above its neighbors. So. Even just looking at the quality of the roads or the buildings at the border, you can immediately notice the difference between Argentina and Chile. And I remember years ago when I traveled uh, south from Peru down into Chile, you could also notice just that people were wealthier. It was, it was apparent that versus Peru, it was a more developed or advanced nation. So I know that you're not supposed to be releasing poll data now this close to the referendum, which is on Sunday, but of the polling, the most The latest polling, is it a, a fair to conclude that this constitution is a no-go? It's just not going to happen. Of the latest polling data that is legally available, right? So I think until August 20 was the, the cutoff. Is it safe to conclude that this new constitution is just not going to happen? That it's going to be a, a mess or, and there's going to be some kind of restructuring? And it, it needs only 50%. To me, that seems strange. You would think you would need more than 50% have something so fundamental passed. Yes, I would be so happy if I could say yes, but right now I can't. There's no way that we can predict what's going to happen because 
for the first time in a very long time in Chile. This voting process, everyone has to participate. It's it's mandatory. So mm-hmm. it's very hard. It's very complex to try to uh, see what, what the voters are going to do. Yes, the polling information that we have right now, we have an advantage of 10 points in almost every every poll that we've taken and um we're trying to keep that up and we've been working towards that but it's really hard to say that we're going to win i think that none of the options that you have right now could certainly say that they're going to win because for example this week last week can change everything for example this this weekend that had that that passed the groups that are trying to that are campaigning for this constitution, for the constitution that the Convención made, they did a public act in which you could see that they were people performing sexual acts with the with the flag of the country. And it was disgusting. And I believe that that has an impact on the result. Mm. But I hope that the, the groups that are against this text are not going to um, are not going to fail to to deliver the correct message that is this was poorly made this is a constitution that does not um ensure that you're gonna be free and it's not good for the democracy it's not good for the economy for safety it's not good at all i believe and i hope that we're going to deliver that message until the end in the right way but everything can change right now it's really impossible to understand how uh, people are going to vote. This election is very particular. But yeah, every poll that we've taken, uh, we see that we have 10 points in advantage of the of the other option that is the apruebo, that is to vote up in favor of this very crazy text. Right. And we do have Mauro Echeverria, who's maybe, I guess, our deputy editor, his official title, one of our lead researchers and writers. And he prepared uh, a note, the new constitution for Chile puts the welfare state first. That we'll have this all in our show notes. Now, Mauro, do you want to pick this up and, and have Christina address just the, the actual structure of this constitution? We reviewed a good article from America's Quarterly, which is just seven key points. Uh, hey, Christina. Hey, uh- one thing that really stuck in my head for for a long time is the in in an attempt to include these the indigenous different these different indigenous groups they're trying to implement different judicial systems inside the the Chilean state. Uh, yes. Just my question would be like, uh, how would this work, and how would we know which person is under which judicial system? Okay, so what happened in the inside was that the indigenous representatives, the indigenous uh, constituyentes inside the institution, they weren't really clear about this topic. They weren't really clear about anything. So, yes, there there would be 12 different systems, judicial systems, in Chile right now, if this gets approved uh, on, on Sunday. And we don't know really anything about them. We tried to limit the systems and to make them just exclusive for indigenous people and that they couldn't get into criminal law. And we tried to limit it. And every attempt to limit this, this uh, judicial systems was uh, rejected. So we basically 
the Convención Constitucional basically approved that in Chile, that has 12% of indigenous people, there will be different uh, ways of judging people and different laws and laws that you don't know because one of the things that is very characteristic of indigenous law is that's not written. So, for example, if I commit a crime here in Chile and I want to know how am I going to be judged, I can go to Google and put Código Penal Chileno and I will see what the, the possible outcome of my crime would be. And you, everyone can know that. Everyone has that certainty. But with these systems, indigenous systems, you cannot do that because they're not written. They are built uh, towards basically the language, the culture. And there are certain indigenous groups that are recognized by the constitution of, the conven of this convention that were extinct. And you only have about 200 of these representatives, of the representatives of these people And they are going to impose law and order in their territories and out of their territories. And for example, right now in the Región Metropolitana in Santiago, in the capital of the, of the country, um, you have the, great, the greatest concentration of indigenous people here in the capital. And I remember that on, on January, the president of the Convención Constitucional, Elisa Loncón, said that she wanted to apply to judge people uh, by the indigenous law here in Santiago. And no one knows what it is about, what it, what it is about. And I remember there was an interview, very interesting interview, with one of the convencionales, Fernando Atria, that was supposedly the, the brain behind all of this text, crazy text. And the journalist asked him, and He told him, like, do you know the judicial system of the Pueblo Yagan, of the Yagan people? And he said, no. Why, why would I know that? And he voted in favor of recognizing that judicial system that can be applied to Chilenos that are mestizos or Chilenos that are indigenous. He approved that. And he doesn't know what it, what it is about, what, it, what he's talking about. That's something that in Ecuador and in Bolivia, that we have indigenous law and we recognize their systems, we wouldn't have done that because we know what indigenous law is about. We know how they sanction people that commit crimes inside of their territory. So we established clear limits to uh, those rulings. And in spite of all of that, we've had a lot of problems with indigenous ruling. So what they did here is to me it it just outgoes any logic it makes no sense they don't know what they're talking about no one knows what the judicial system of the pueblo mapuche or lincantai or chango is once again some of these indigenous people were extinct and this convention this constitution this project uh, revives them and we don't know where they are or who, are, who is going to represent these people. For example, the Segnams. Segnams were, were extinct. And now they're alive again in this constitution, and they have their own law, their own judges, their own territory, where we don't know where it is. We can see where they've been in the past. And by that uh, idea, we, we can make a map and try to figure out where they're going to be. But we have no certainty. 
And I remember explicitly asking for the opinion of the cons of the convencionales from uh, indigenous people, and uh, they weren't certain either. They were just saying, yeah, let's recognize that we have autonomous territories and that we have laws and judges, and we'll see, we'll figure out later. The law will establish afterwards what are the limits, but but you cannot do that later. You have to do it in the constitution. That's what we did in Ecuador. That's what we, they did in Bolivia. That this makes no sense. And this it's extremely it's extremely crazy what they did here. Yeah. Yeah. The the word I'd give that to give to that Christina is experimental. In some ways, they're 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 taking on this unknown venture, and they're overlooking the experience of other countries such as Ecuador that have already dealt with indigenous law. Now. My understanding is that even if this is rejected, that the movement behind a new constitution is not going to just accept that result. There's going to be much more activity to, to kind of revive this and maybe even pass it just through the legislature rather than through a vote of the people. Is that likely to happen? Do you understand the question? Yes, I do. Well, our information says that uh, the about seventy percent of the population in Chile they want a new constitution. They don't want the the constitution that we have right now. So this process is going to continue. The right. question is how how is it going to continue? Are we going to uh, repeat this model with this Asamblea Constituyente or that was that had one hundred and fifty five members, very different members selected by a very specific electoral laws that made it easier for the most radical representatives of the of the population to be there so that that i think that that would be a mistake the thing is how because for example if there's i don't know a committee of experts a, a smaller group of people that really know what they're doing we're going to be just fine and everything is going to be better yeah we could change the constitution but keeping certain certain uh, basis of, I don't know, logic, <laughs> logic and law, uh, which is something that didn't happen with this text. But the question is how? And I believe that the experience that we had with the Convención Constitucional, it's going to make it easier for people to accept that behind this process, you need experts. Because at the beginning, uh, I remember that people were superposed towards the idea that experts could intervene in this process because they wanted people that represented the, the common the common man, the common women. And that's exactly what happened. And they did an awful job. And not only with, with the things that they wrote, but their behavior was outstandingly crazy. It mm. was so vulgar. It was just vulgar. So I believe that now with that experience, with, with, with everything that has happened uh, the past year, I do believe that there is going to be a little bit more of um, reason involved and not only emotions. So, yeah, basically, yeah, we're going to have a new constitution. I don't know which one and I don't know how, but we're going to have it. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a drawn out process, most likely. And... In, in some ways, yeah, it's very unpredictable still at this stage. Now, if people want to follow Christina because she is on top of this all the time, she is active on Twitter. It is as it, at Chris Vera. We'll have this all in the show notes. 
So if you're not already following impunityobserver.com, please go there. We'll have updated, updated details on Christina's uh, background and we'll have recommended readings for just getting an overview of this process. Now, Christina, just my, my final question is what pieces of this story do you fear have just not entered the public discourse, international coverage? Do you, do you think that international coverage has overlooked certain important parts of this, let's say, narrative or story of a new constitution for Chile? I believe that it's very common that international coverage usually kind of romanticizes this kind of process. And I believe that that's what's been going on in certain media. Of course, it's impossible for everyone outside of Chile to understand what was going on here and how uh, dangerous this process was. But I, I, I think that there's something that the media won't cover. And is this, uh, now that Chilenos are understanding what's at risk, what's at stake, you see that uh, there are certain principles of freedom and liberty that are very, very imprinted in the society here. Uh, mm. For example, uh, 90% of the population wants a very strong protection of private property. That's something that you wouldn't have seen in Ecuador and in Venezuela and in Bolivia. You wouldn't have seen that. People want to choose their health system. And I'm not talking about 50% of the population. No, no, I'm talking about 80% of the population. They want to choose. They want to choose. They want to have the, the freedom to choose where they put their money, basically. Same thing with, with other rights, for example, in education and different stuff. So I believe that that's something that's not going to get covered. There are certain parts and certain ideas of freedom that are very, very imprinted in the society. And I think that that's very valuable. I think that that makes Chile so different from other countries in, in, the, in the region, uh, that they don't have that. They don't have this um, connection with private property and with civil rights as Chilenos do. So I have faith that um, people are going to step up this Sunday and that they're going to say that this crazy project is a no, <laughs> and that we're going to look for a new constitution that's representative of what Chile is, a great, great nation that loves freedom. I believe that that's going to happen, and I hope that I'm not going to be wrong about it. <laughs> yeah. Th thank you, Christina. That, that's a very good answer, actually, because, as you say, those deeper cultural nuances are just so difficult for outsiders to really appreciate or have a feel for even if they're just reporting the facts as they see them and not trying to be biased or anything like that, it's hard to understand, let's say, the mismatch between cultural tendencies and what's written down in a new constitution. So, folks, yes, please do follow Christina on Twitter. And otherwise, we'll have all the notes at impunityobserver.com. I'm so uh, proud to feature her work. She's doing phenomenal work down there. And we look forward to next month when we have our next roundtable. Model, thanks for sitting in with us. Thank you to our listeners and our readers. Cheers.